All right, well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we will be in verse 19. So I'll give you a chance to open up there. And while you're opening up, I'd uh, like to talk to you about a human experience, a human reality. This is something I do often where we just like look at ways that we relate to the world around us, ways that we experience the world, right, to, to, to relate to something that we're going to discover in Scripture together. So this human reality that I want to talk about is the reality of like what it means to experience desperate need. Talk about the reality of what it means to experience desperate need, and then you discover a place that can meet that need. You discover somebody that can, or something that can meet that place of desperate need for you, and then what does it do? Well, uh, it causes you then to go to that place that meets your desperate need, but then on top of that, the other thing that starts to happen is you actually like might exploit that place that meets your desperate needs. So where do we see this most often? I actually think we see this, like when we, when we can get the privilege of seeing that desperate need met, uh, and, and, and then we start to exploit it, right? I think we see this most often in kids. So I'll talk to you about myself as a kid for just a second. Uh, when I was a, a kid, I had a desperate need for cookies. And I am still a kid who has a desperate need for cookies, right? This is something that I experience often. And so, so when I was a kid, I was at my grandma's house. Uh, I would go to her house, and then she one day amazingly showed me how I can meet this desperate need for cookies, she showed me her cookie cabinet, right? So she took me to this place, the, the cookie cabinet, and I discovered this place where this need can get met. And then I started to exploit this privilege of going to grandma's cookie cabinet, right? All the time. And this is how grandma ended up building a 245 pound offensive lineman, right? Because I learned how to exploit grandma's cookie cabinet. That's what happened to me. Okay, so another example, another place where I see this. Uh, Autumn, my daughter, as I've been, uh, we, you know, the whole pandemic, she's been sitting in our kitchen and she has been watching things going on outside. And she loves outside. She's been watching the neighbor kids play outside. She, she just loves the idea of being outside. In fact, this was one of her first words. I, I. I, that's what she says to let us know that it's time to go outside. And, and so, uh, so anyway, we were, she's been watching the neighbor kids jump on their trampoline the whole pandemic. And, and she's learned now how to get access to outside, right? But now on top of that, like every time we would go outside, she'd start like walking over to the trampoline because she see the kids jumping on it. And that means she's like, oh, that looks fun. I'm going to go do it, right? So she has this desperate need to be active on the trampoline, right? So she keeps going, and, and all the time we were going to pull her back from the trampoline, all the time going to pull her back. And then uh, and, and finally, our, our neighbors actually came out, and they said, you know, if, if she wants to jump on the trampoline, you guys can let her jump on the trampoline, which is great. Uh, which means that every time now we take her outside, we go and let her jump on the trampoline. Now it's like every moment she's outside, she's walking over all the time to the trampoline. She's like exploiting this privilege that she has been given, right? So this is how, like, this is a, just a human reality. Like we meet, we see a place that meets a desperate need and we start to exploit it. So why do we exploit it? Well, we have this experience of need, number one, but then number two, uh, we find the privilege to have the need met. We find the privilege to have the need met. So, uh, so we're going to come back to that idea in just a second. Uh, I talk about all of that because we are in a series on vision. We're talking about the vision of Alliance Bible Church. What is the vision of our church? And so last week we talked about, we really dug into our purpose, that we are working together 
to restore hope to all people. Like, that's kind of what we do. Like, we bring light into the darkness. We bring hope to those who are hopeless because we believe that we've been given this amazing hope in Jesus. And so, so as we talk about our purpose, our purpose actually highlights a desperate need. That we were without hope, but now that hope has been restored for us. And now we actually get to participate in bringing hope to this world that we inhabit. Like, we, we get to participate in bringing the light into darkness. And how do we do this? Well, we, we do it the way that Jesus did it. Like, Jesus said, follow me, right? Like, we see this in the beginning of the book of Matthew. When Jesus is starting his ministry, we're given, like, the vision statement for his ministry that he's bringing light to the people who walk in darkness. And then the first thing he does is he says to his disciples, follow me. Like, he makes followers of himself. And so, so we've kind of structured things the same way, where, where our purpose, yes, our purpose is to restore hope, to do the things that Jesus calls us to do. But then we do that by our strategy. We do it the same way Jesus did it, which is we develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and connect. That's our strategy statement. That's how we've decided to do this. Which, what this doesn't mean is that we don't build like really great programs. We don't build a really big building. We don't really build a a very impressive organization. Like none of those are an end goal in and of themselves. Our ultimate end goal is building people who follow Jesus. Like that's our ultimate end goal. So when you say, you might come to me and say, okay, pastor, I'm a part of this church. Pastor, what do you want from me? Uh, I will tell you, I want you to follow Jesus And then I want you to help others follow Jesus. I want you to follow Jesus, and I want you to help others follow Jesus. That's what it means to uh, be a part of this church. And so now we've used three words to kind of describe uh, what a Jesus follower looks like. We've used the words worship, love, and connect uh, to help us simplify what it means to follow Jesus. So over the next three weeks, we're going to be digging into those words. So this morning, we're focusing on worship. This morning, our focus is on worship. So let's go back then to the idea of desperate need, the idea of desperate need. Our, our purpose statement is highlighting us for us the reality that, that this desperate need that we have has been met, that somehow hope has been restored for us. So, so we were without hope. Why? Because we were alienated from our Creator. And we were created to be in relationship with our creator, right? Like that's how he made us. But by nature and choice, we rejected him. We chose, we said, you know what, God, we know better than you know. Uh, we're going to choose our own pathway. And so, uh, so we rejected him. And so that made us alienated from our creator. We're created to be in relationship with him. Uh, but, but even there in the garden, when Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God, uh, God sent them away from his presence. Like the garden was a place where they could be with God, but then God sent them out. There's, so, so now what you see happening at the beginning in the very garden is you see this division between God and human beings because okay, we can't be with our creator anymore. This is what we see. And so we have this problem where we have kind of this desperate core need where we, we were made to be in relationship with God, but we, we don't have access to God. And so this core need that we have is, is we need reunion with God. We need reunion with our Creator. But, uh, but even for Israel, even like God's chosen people, God's special people, reunion for them seems impossible because like even in the book of Exodus, uh, when, when Israel is first meeting and understanding who God is, like there are all of these boundaries set. 
Like when they get the Ten Commandments, like the, the, the Israelites, they can't even approach the mountain. They can't come up into the mountain because if they go up where God's presence is, if they're with God, like they're going to die. Like that's the threat. Like if they come up into my presence, God says, like they, they are going to die. So you need to keep them back. Right? That's the idea that we get. Like, we can't be reunited. And, and the whole Old Testament system is about setting up, like, division between God and people. People can't actually go and be with God. There are all of these uh, things that separate creator from creation. And so then we, we see Jesus enter. And, and Jesus comes, and he's talking about words. He's using words like, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So... So Jesus brings up this idea that it's actually like possible for people to be reunited with God, but it happens through him. And then what does he do? Well, he dies our death in our place for our sin. He pays the price for our sin, and then he calls us to follow him. So now what we understand is that every person who follows Jesus actually gets the opportunity for true reunion with their creator the holy spirit comes and takes up residence inside of the person who trusts in jesus like the presence of god comes and lives in that person god can be reunited with his creation this is what we see and so we don't just have access now like we don't just have we're not just able to somehow worship god but the father because jesus died for us and gives us his righteousness the father actually looks at us and joyfully welcomes anybody who follows jesus into his presence There's no barrier. So as we talk about worship, because this means now when we worship God, we worship him where he is. Like he is with us as we worship him. There's no division. Like he is not far off from us, but he has come near. So as we talk about worship, there's a guiding question that I want us to use. And that question is this. We've been given an amazing privilege that we would worship God in his presence like there's no more division because of our sin there's no more wall between us and him if we enter through jesus then we have full unabated access to him so the question this privilege that we've been given what do we do with the fact that that the privilege of the fact that our deepest need of reunion with our creator has been met in jesus What do we do with the fact that like this privilege that we have that now our deepest need of reunion with our creator, that need has been met fully in Jesus. What do we do with that fact? Well, that's going to lead us into Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, verse 19. We're going to take that question. We're going to carry it through the passage with us. So Hebrews 10, 19, this is what it says. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So uh, we'll stop there. And then there are a bunch of things that we're going to do because we have those things. But I just want to look at all of these things that we have, right? All of these things that are highlighted. Notice the worship language that occurs here. Without actually saying the word worship, the author is telling us all about worship. 
And so, uh, so we'll get into that in just a second. But I first want to define worship before we go too much further. Uh, our elders, we worked together uh, back in March to kind of come up with a definition of worship as we're figuring out how, uh, how even we're going to worship corporately as a church, how uh, you all can worship individually. Like, what is the best definition, like all-encompassing biblical definition that we can come up with for worship? And so worship defined is this. Any action that rightly reveres, honors, and describes God. Any action that rightly reveres, honors, and describes God. So, so in this passage, we read about holy places. We read about blood, like blood of the sacrifices, right? This is a very common thing for uh, Jewish worship. We read about a curtain in Jewish worship. The curtain was the thing that kept the people separated from the presence of God. We read about a priest, a person who mediates worship, right? We read about the house of God. The house of God was the temple. All of these things, these were Jewish pieces of worship in every single piece, actually contains a memory for, for Jewish people. And it contains a memory for us, too, as we learn the Jewish story. It contains this memory that there was separation between God and humans, that there had to be this distinct separation, that God was, had to separate himself, that, that his presence could not be with sinful people. So, so when Jewish people worshipped, there was a barrier, and along with that barrier, there came this fear, this, this trepidation of entering the presence of God. There was separation between people and God, but now, our worship, so that was worship in, in the Jewish Old Testament. They, they still knew who the true God was, but they could not draw near to Him. Here's the reality. Christian worship is better than Jewish worship is because the barrier has been taken down in Jesus. Now we actually get to go into God's presence. God's presence is always available to us. How? Well, the blood of Jesus makes us perfect. It actually gives us permission to boldly approach our Creator. Why? Because it cleanses us. We actually get Jesus' righteousness and He takes our sin, right? Like this is what happens. And so when Jesus came and died, the realities of worship for God's people fundamentally changed. Now we're not separated from God. Now we are actually joyfully welcomed into his presence. Now we've been forgiven. Now we've been cleansed. Now we've been made new. We've been healed. We have been loved. Now we've been invited into the presence of God that before we had to be afraid of. Now we uh, were joyfully welcomed. And all of this, this adds a qualifier to our definition of worship. So remember that definition. We actually get to throw a qualifier on the end now because God has welcomed us, because he has forgiven us, because he has showered us with love in Jesus. It actually does something to our hearts and it, it, it rewires our motivation for worship. So worship defined now is any action that rightly reveres, honors, and describes God in love. Right? Because, because of the love with which God has showered us in Jesus. It changes our hearts and turns us into people who love him in return. And then we start doing these actions that rightly revere, honor, and describe God out of a love for him because of what he's accomplished for us. Okay, so now verse 22, there are a bunch of commands. Since all of these things are true of us now, there are a bunch of commands that are given to God's people. Number one, in verse 22, it says, let us draw near. 
with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know what? There's no making us making ourselves right. Like we don't do it. There's no, there's no preparation period. There's no need for us to wait because right now, We are loved and welcomed in freely because of Jesus. If we enter through Jesus, then we need not prepare. We need not wait. We have full access. The author is saying, don't wait to take advantage of this privilege. Every single moment you have access, you should go fully into the presence of God. You should draw near. You don't have to wait until you get to the temple. You don't have to wait until the day of atonement. You, don't, you have access to the God of the universe, the creator, right now. The moment immediately following the thought that you're like, oh, I want to be in God's presence. I want to be with God. Like You can have access to him right now through Jesus. Full access to a father who loves you. So draw near. No longer, and when he says draw near, like draw near makes us think physically like we walk close to the place. But, 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 but God's presence, is, it's no longer in a specific physical place, but it is a, now a position of the heart. Now we can draw near to God with the posture of our hearts. It says, let us draw near with the true heart. And full assurance of faith, the true heart, the full assurance. These are the the things which uh, make our mind and our hearts work together to uh, turn our attention towards the presence of God and actually come near to him. So so what does this mean for us? Uh, I I think of it actually like there's a there's an author from um, kind of medieval era. His name is Brother Lawrence, and uh, he wrote this book called Practicing the Presence of God. And, and the whole idea of practicing the presence of God is that like in every action of your day that you would strive to be aware that you are going through your day, that the one who is with you, the Holy Spirit taking up residence in you, the God of the universe, the creator is there with you in this moment. And you can have free conversation with him. You can have a free awareness of his presence. You can be near to him at any point. And so, uh, so a way that we can articulate this and uh, the call of this, this call to draw near is, is this. Strive to live every moment with a grateful awareness that your creator who loves you is with you. Like that's the call on us, that we would strive to live every moment with a grateful awareness that our creator who loves us is with us, right? We need to exploit this privilege. Like he's always available to us and he has met our most desperate need. So all the time we should seek to draw near to him. So what does this mean? Well, at the very least, it means for us that Sunday worship is not enough. Like we get uh, maybe like one at most two hours a week. Like that is not going to be enough to like call us to draw near. Like every moment, two hours a week is not going to cut it, right? It means that there has to be some personal aspect of worship for you in your own life. Like if you're actually going to become a disciple who worships, then, then you have to find some way to work personal worship into your own patterns. What else does it mean? It means that like checking the box for your morning Devo is like not enough. Your morning devotion, like that's, that's just not going to cut it, right? Because there's more to your day than just like that little 15 minutes or 30 minutes in your morning, right? Like you have to find other points of time and points of entry. I'm not saying you can't start with something like that, but, but like we keep building so that we can strive to live every moment with uh, this grateful awareness that the God who loves us is with us. That's why I like this command to draw near. Because it actually, it gives us a goal in our personal worship. 
Like, it gives us the goal to ask, okay, now what next step can I take to have a greater awareness of God's presence with me, a greater connection to God throughout my day? Building patterns uh, of personal worship in our lives, it, it helps us to be the kind of people who draw near. So to say this a different way, like what do Jesus followers do when they worship? Well, well, Jesus followers, they actually develop patterns of personal worship. This is quiet time. This is prayer. This is devotion. This is Bible reading. This is reflection, right? Like all of these pieces help us to have a greater awareness of God, a greater understanding of God for who he has revealed himself to be in Scripture and in Christ. Uh, and so we do all of these things. We, we implement them to develop patterns of personal worship, to have a greater awareness for who he is. And the idea that we're giving is that, is that we keep doing it. Like we take advantage of it. Like this is an amazing opportunity. Our deepest need has been met, and so we need to exploit it. All right, so it goes on in verse 23. This is what he says. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know what? The amazing thing, this is not a nebulous hope that we have been given. Like we are not just kind of some like weirdly spiritual people, but, but, but our spirituality, like our hope is definite. Our hope has a definition to it. We know what our hope is. It is clear for us in scripture. We have a God who, who became flesh in Jesus Christ. The son of God came and then he lived and he worked among us. And then he went to the cross and died for our sins in our place that we might have full access to God. He actually restored our relationship with God. He offers us this thing called eternal life and invites us into life with God. This is what Jesus accomplished. This is a definite hope and it has a definite confession to it that's what it means when it says confession let us hold fast the truth of our hope what grounds our hope and our hope is absolutely grounded in jesus his works his accomplishment his power his life his death his resurrection like he alone is the one who gives us access to our creator that we had alienated ourselves from and so all the time we are striving not just to, to spiritually have a sense that we are like near to, to, to the all or uh, near to the universe or whatever. No, we, we have a definite hope that we draw near to the creator of the world through Jesus Christ. So, so what does this mean for our personal worship, our corporate worship? What does this mean for worship for Jesus followers? Jesus followers keep their attention on Jesus. Jesus' followers keep their attention on Jesus. And this is why, like, I can't preach a sermon without talking about Jesus. This is why even, like, we're in the Old Testament where Jesus' name isn't always, like, explicit or hardly ever explicit in those passages. I end up talking about Jesus because we read the whole Old Testament in light of what has happened in the New Testament. It's why I strive to listen to music all the time that fixes my attention on Jesus because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is built on nothing else than Jesus, right? So, so we strive to keep our attention on Jesus. Lastly, verse 24. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So true New Testament worship, it's not just me and Jesus. Like true New Testament worship has a very corporate nature to it. 
So what this means is that like you, ha- you have not just been saved individually, but you're a part of a corporate group of people who have been carved out of humanity, who have been saved and set aside for the glory of God. We represent a new people that Jesus has called out to himself. And so, so we together actually give the world around us a vision of what the kingdom of God looks like. That can only happen if we live out our faith together. Right? So what does this mean? It means that our, our corporate worship service is actually the most important thing that we as a body do. Like it's more important than anything else because what it is, is it is this collective expression of our restored relationship with God. So like we are all like, yeah, we have personal worship going throughout the week, but then we all come together and we have this collective proclamation. We set aside this time on Sunday morning every week to make sure that we are coming together to remind each other and to proclaim to the world around us that we have a definite hope in Jesus. And so we don't just live this faith out between us, uh, between me and Jesus. We live this faith out between us and Jesus. It's something that we do together. And that's why corporate worship, this is like the first thing coronavirus hits. The first thing that we're doing is we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we facilitate worship together? Because Christ's body, we still have to find a way to come together. This is why all the time, those of you who are worshiping with us online, I'm talking about like, we cannot wait until the day when we are physically able to be together again, because There's a a great blessing in God's people coming together to declare and sing and pray and, and be thankful for the great things that God has accomplished. So, um... If we are first and foremost worshipers, then our corporate worship service, it becomes the collective culmination of our personal worship. It's the place where we hold this confession of our hope together. It's the place where God directs us together. It's the place where we draw near to God together. And so what does this mean for Jesus followers and their worship? This is what it means. It means Jesus followers prioritize corporate worship. So like this is a value for my family. This means that like when we're on vacation, if we're on a Sunday morning, we are going to strive to find a place where we can worship with the body of Christ because we prioritize corporate worship wherever we are. Unless there's an emergency, we're going to find a way to worship with the body of Christ on Sunday. What this means is that your leaders actually, like we as leaders, uh, whether it's Debbie, myself, Debbie picking music, you know, like uh, it's one of our elders, it's one of our other pastors up here. You know, we are all working uh, to figure out how we can be really intentional with this time that we have together, how we can be really intentional with this space where we together draw together and worship God. Right? Like we're thinking about all of this stuff. How can we, what is going to be most conducive to helping us collectively fix our attention on Jesus and give him the praise that he deserves? And so, what does that mean that we do practically? Well, it means that actually, like in this space, we strive to prevent distraction as much as we can. It means that in this space, we, we strive to set our preferences aside for the sake of each other because something that helps you worship might not be the same thing that helps me worship, but as much as we can, we try to do uh, what is going to best promote worship among us. Uh, we, we boldly express together. No matter we, if we like the thing that we're doing or not, we find ways to boldly express together that the deepest need of reunion with our Creator has been met in Jesus.
And so the fact that we can worship God freely in his presence without fear, with full access to God, is a privilege. It's an amazing privilege that we have. So what does that mean for us as Jesus followers? I want to give you a command this morning, and this is really our main point for the morning. It's this. It means that we exploit the privilege of reunion with our Creator. It means like you ask me, like, what, what do you, Pastor, like if I'm a part of this church, Pastor, what do you want from me? Well, if we're, we make Jesus followers who worship, I want you to exploit the privilege of reunion with your Creator. Like, this is like me in, in, in the cookie cabinet at Grandma's, right? I, I had this kind of felt need, this desperate need to, to have cookies, right? And, and I, once I found that cookie cabinet, I just, like, kept going back to it, right? Jesus has met our deepest and most desperate need. He has reunited with us, with our Creator. And so this is what Jesus' followers do. Like we take advantage of the fact that a problem we could not solve has been solved and taken care of fully in Jesus. Okay, so what? So what? Number one, I have a question for you. A question for everybody who would be listening online, everybody who would be here, and that question is this. What is your next step in personal worship? What's your next step in personal worship? Maybe you just need to like implement a, a place of daily Bible reading. Maybe you're a family and you need to figure out like a, a way that your family together is going to start praying together or start reading Scripture together. Uh, maybe you need to figure out how you can break up your day into smaller chunks and, and make sure like throughout your day you're, you're, yeah, you're c- catching up with God, you're reconnecting with God, right? I'll, I'll share my next step with you, actually. Uh, my next step, there's this, uh, this exercise, spiritual exercise called the examine. Um, and the examine, it was practiced way back in the early church, and it, it's something that has started to be practiced more and more again. But essentially what the examine is, it's like it's what the, the title is. It's you go through your day, and at the end of your day, you sit down and, and you just reflect. You, ask, you, you become aware of God's presence. You ask God to kind of help you reflect on your day and say, okay, how was I connected to you? How was I being faithful to you? Maybe where was I missing out on your presence? Where was I uh, overly anxious about something? And I, I'm reflecting and, and having God draw my attention to those things. That way, uh, the next day, I might strive to have a greater awareness of God's presence. So what's your next step in personal worship? Figure that out. Think about it. Write about it. And then take the step. Number two, what would need to change for corporate worship to become a non-negotiable priority for you? Like That's a question for you to consider. What would need to change for corporate worship to become a non-negotiable priority for you? Like I understand some people have work, others have various responsibilities that you have to go towards, and I'm not about to get legalistic and say, okay, like if you can't come every Sunday, then you can't be a part of our church or anything. Like that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Insofar as it is in our power, Jesus' followers should prioritize our worship together. 
right? Like we are a part of this thing called the body of Christ and we get the blessed opportunity to be able to draw into his presence with one another and and proclaim to each other and the world around us the amazing things that God has done to draw near to him, to praise him for who he is. And, And so every time we do it, we make a decision, even like when we don't feel like it, every time we worship together, we make a decision with our bodies. Like we get up out of bed, we make our way to church, we sit here, we sing together, we pray for one another, all of this stuff we do, like we do this because it's actually like we're saying, even when we're tired and even when we don't want to do it, we're saying that the most important thing about me is that my most desperate need has been taken care of in Jesus, it's been resolved in Jesus, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wake up even when I don't feel like it, and I'm going to go worship Jesus in the presence of his people. So as we, uh, as we stand together on Sunday morning, that, becomes, that makes us a witness to the surrounding world of what it is that we actually believe, that we believe Jesus has set us apart as his people, and, and he's accomplished great things for us. So that's that. And, and the last thing I want to talk to you about is an element of, of hospitality. We must consider hospitality in our worship. So um, so primarily, our worship service is structured um, with an awareness of us, right? It's helping us direct our attention and direct our focus and direct our words towards God. So like we are the culture that, that our worship is for, but, but there's a, an important caveat to this. We have this secondary awareness that our worship service is, is some of our neighbors' first introductions to God in our worship of Him. Like we have this recognition in our worship that there are going to be those among us who may not even know God or know anything about God, and they're going to be learning something about God in this place. They're going to be understanding something about His people and how we engage in worship in this place. So, so that's something that we need to take into consideration. It's something that, like, even when I'm up here, on, like, we talk about worship, love, and connect, right? And, and so that means that that connect piece, one of our goals is that we would send out uh, disciples, Jesus followers, from this place to go into their spheres of influence, to connect with their neighbors, people in their spheres of influence, and to actually, like, draw them to Jesus. What that means is that eventually the people that you're having conversations with, the people that you're connecting with, our desire is going to be to see those people come to this place, Right? And so what that means is I want to be very intentional about the language that I use, about the way that I talk. I want to be very intentional even about what those people experience because those are people who, are, uh, who, who aren't aware of how we function and what we do, but we have a responsibility to be hospitable to those people. Because the expectation is that eventually like the people that you're reaching are going to come and worship with us. So, uh, so that means that it should be our goal to make sure those people feel welcomed. And like, that's why you like may get very annoyed with this. I don't know, but I introduce myself every single Sunday and I introduce myself every single Sunday because I recognize that there may be those watching online with us or, or there may be those who are even here among us who don't know who I am, but I'm this guy who's going to talk to them for like two and a half hours. And, and so they need to know that I am like who I am. Right. And I need to have an, they need to know that somebody has an awareness that they are new, that they're, they're new to this situation. It should be our goal to like make these people feel invited. This is why we have signups for things. That we actually, like somebody doesn't have to be in the know to be a part of something, but they actually have like a way they can sign up for something. 
It should be our goal, like, to help them understand what it is that we do. This is why, like, I try not to use too much theological language, and if I do, I really try to clarify what it is that I'm saying as much as I can, although sometimes I need to tweak that a little bit, too. It, sh- it means that it, it should be our goal to, to welcome them. And this is what I love about Alliance Bible Church is that, um, you know, when people come in among us, we do such a good job of before services and after services of, of following up with those people, of making sure that they have everything with the need of just like asking them questions about who they are and, and, and their life and, and trying to get to know them, right? Like this is a really warm, friendly church. I love that about this place. I love that we do such a good job of welcoming people. This is like one of the things that even me and Andrea experienced, you know. We're talking now a year and a half that we've been a part of this church. When we came to this church at the beginning of our ministry, we come here and we are just welcomed like family. And part of our hospitality is that when those who who maybe are new to us come in among us, that we would do the same thing with them, that we would seek to welcome them like family. There is like this piece of hospitality about our worship service that we strive to be aware of the person who is new among us so that we can help them understand, so that we can make sure that they're welcomed, so that we don't create any barriers between them and coming to know the God who is seeking to restore his relationship with them. So all of that, all of that is going to be crucial for us as we move forward together as a church. So ABC, this thing that you do really well, this friendliness, this, this nature where you're welcoming, hold on to that. Don't let that go because it is going to be crucial as we seek to draw people to Jesus here in our community. With all of that being said, would you please pray with me? Father, you have called us to become followers of Jesus, but not only that, that we would get to participate in the making of followers of Jesus. And what that means is that uh, we have this most uh, amazing privilege where our deepest need, where we were alienated from our Creator, we needed to be reunited with our Creator, and we now have this chance where we can exploit that reunion that we have with you, our Father, because you welcome us joyfully into your presence because we are covered by Jesus' sacrifice. This is an amazing, amazing hope that we have. And Lord, so let us be the kind of people who would take advantage of this hope. Let us be the kind of people who would even exploit this hope. Lord, uh, help us to be the kind of people who develop those next steps in our personal worship. Help us to be the kind of people who prioritize our corporate worship together. We long to see you make this church into a church of Jesus followers who worship. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.